0: Welcome to the special look-ahead show of Question Period as we look ahead into 2021. I'm Evan Sullivan. Happy New Year, everyone. Today, I guess, we're finally putting that horrible year 2020 behind us, and we're looking ahead to see what the political year will look like. Now, we have a golden rule here on Question Period. The only thing we don't predict is the future. But today, at least, we're going to try to see what forces may determine the political future. We know a few things. The vaccines have given us all a lot of hope. But the battle against the virus has been joined by a phalanx of vaccines. Every day, though, people are getting much coveted shots, but it's still slow. And there's still a long, deadly road ahead. For every life saved, it seems there's been one lost. There are lots of people who want the vaccine and lots of people who doubt it. It is, to use Charles Dickens' line from A Tale of Two Cities, the best of times and the worst of times. It's the age of wisdom and the age of foolishness. It's the season of light and the season of darkness.
1: These developments on the vaccine front bring hope that we are on the road to ending the pandemic. No one and no community will be left behind. We have a plan to reach everyone who wants a vaccine no matter where they live.
2: We are not out of the woods yet. We have a lot of work to do together as a country in the next several months. And so I'm encouraging people to continue to take care of each other, to follow the public health advice.
0: So the battle against the virus is still very much the story of the new year. It shapes our daily lives. It shapes the economy and will likely remain the biggest political story of the year. The next election, maybe the spring, maybe the summer, could well be a referendum on how leaders handle the pandemic or how they handle the recovery. But what other issues will shape the year? Well, we'll figure that out. We have gathered today our QP Nostradamai, the oracles of Parliament Hill, the diviners of political fortunes who roll the political bones, the cartomantic creatures who know where the cards will be dealt. You can look that word up. Okay, they're journalists, but... Here they are anyway. The great Bob Fife from the uh, Globe and Mail, the Ottawa Bureau Chief there. Tony McCharles from the Toronto Star, also the great Tony McCharles. Year. Happy New Year. The great uh, Joyce Napier, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for CTV News. Happy New Year, Joyce. And every round we're going to have a special guest. And to begin the program today, because we're going to look at the, the vaccine rollout, our special guest is none other than CTV News infectious disease specialist, the wonderful, the generous Dr. Abdushar kawi Doc, uh, a pleasure to welcome everyone to the show and, and to you and all your healthcare teams. What a year you've had. We always thank you for that and for your, your great insight. And I, I'll start the program with you because the vaccines are here and we're happy about that. Now, there are not a lot of them yet, but they're rolling out. What are the biggest challenges ahead in terms of the rollout for those who get it and for those who may still have to wait a long time to get one?
3: Well, I think there's many challenges. I think the first challenge that is pretty obvious is the logistical challenge. The front runner vaccines right now are still dual dose vaccines. So we're gonna require people to be vaccinated at 21 or 28 day intervals. Being able to manage that and having some sort of a tracking system or a registry of some sort, I think is a big task when we're looking at potentially millions of Canadians who are going to be getting this vaccine. The other is, is clearing up all of the misconceptions and misinformation or lack of education out there regarding vaccine efficacy and safety. There's a lot of apprehension out there because these vaccines have been produced, have been procured in record time, but it doesn't invalidate the scientific process and rigor uh, and quality control metrics that went into evaluating them. And it's going to be a monumental task to make sure that that lingering element of vaccine hesitancy or doubt is removed so that we can look at that prospect of herd immunity as being a tangible reality. We don't want to hold back our society from any more damage and loss that this pandemic has already wreaked upon us.
0: Man, well, well said, Dr. Sharkawi. Tonda, I mean, these they're health risks for sure, but they come with political risks. What are the political challenges in Mm -hmm. terms of the vaccine rollout?
2: Well, look, I mean, I think that we can all recognize that Health Canada, this government writ large, has had challenges in communicating through the pandemic. And they're great at talking. They're great at, um, I think, announcing policy but the implementation execution of stuff is, is is challenging to them. There are some practical logistical challenges that face all governments, not just the federal government, all the provincial governments that are actually responsible for rolling them out and the federal government has put on the shoulders of the provincial governments that follow-up duty of making sure things happen. Um, broadly, more broadly speaking though, I think that uh, the next in line issue is the big challenge after the immediate priority groups get it how is it distributed other countries like britain Hmm. have used age as a category you know if you're in this decade that decade and that's how they're rolling theirs out we don't seem to have a clear plan as to who is next in line so that's what i think is the bigger political challenge around the vaccine rollout and COVID.
0: bob where are you on this
4: well i agree with tonda on that but look the problem politically for this for this government both federally and provincially is that they have to try as fast as possible to get as many people vaccinated. If, uh, look south of the border where the Americans have been irresponsible, certainly from the leadership of President Trump, uh, now over 300,000 Americans dead, but they are moving very, very quickly. It seems to be vaccinating people as are, as are the Europeans. So, uh, you know, Canada, Canadians do not want to feel like they're being left behind. And if they, are, if they do feel they're being left behind or way left behind, there will be political repercussions for not only the Prime Minister but also for the provincial premiers.
0: Yeah, Joyce, uh, that vaccine envy could become an issue. And, and as Tonda says, that who gets it? Uh, what are you seeing as the big political
5: hurdles potentially here? I think the big challenge too, let's not forget, yes, all the, 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 the vaccine issues, the rollout, how fast, who will get it after the, the obvious first groups. The other one is controlling the pandemic because while the vaccination operation, which is absolutely historic, is underway, as slow as it may be, this um, virus is continuing to wreak havoc. Is this going to get worse before it gets better? And and I'm I'm afraid the question is is yes. Uh, so there there is yes the hope of the vaccine, but don't forget that there's also the devastation of a virus that doesn't stop and says, oh, look, they're getting vaccinated. No, it's continuing and it's wreaking havoc and it's getting worse. Yeah, and doctor, I mean, there's going to be challenges from an
0: economic point of view for politicians, but on the health point, Joyce raised a good point because there's two pandemics, the pandemic of the virus, but then the pandemic of distrust, the pandemic of fear uh, that that are really starting to dictate people's actions. Um, uh, this winter is going to be tough, even with the vaccines. So, so from the healthcare point of view, what do healthcare
3: workers want to see now from leaders? I think we need clear messaging, quite frankly, and we need this messaging to be consistent across all levels of government, quite frankly. We can't have a situation where there's a discordance between the type of principle and the degree of emphasis on public health restrictions that are going on in Alberta or BC versus Ontario and Quebec. Uh, we saw how quickly the situation changed from one that seemed perfectly manageable, relatively safe in Manitoba, to one that was completely dire, um, seemingly overnight. Uh, situation is rapidly approaching that in Alberta. Uh, provincial memos sent out uh, in Ontario to to uh, you know warn of surge capacity preparedness being something we need to stay on top of. So I think the principles of public safety and and public health need to be maintained across the board. That communication strategy, I think, really needs to be something that's the responsibility of everyone. Uh, there needs to be consistency. We need to get engagement uh, of public health with different marginalized communities and use utilize all public health resources and community engagement through faith and cultural institutions to help tie in a lot of people who feel a little bit disconnected, who feel disenfranchised and maybe not heard. And that I think is gonna be ultimately the most important thing to determine if we can control this pandemic while we're awaiting for those reinforcements from the vaccine, because the vaccine is just one hand and you need both hands to clap. And right now we've got maybe one and a quarter going for us.
0: All right, guys, I gotta leave it there for, for this round. Uh, I just wanna say, I'm sure on behalf of all of us, Dr. Sherkow, to you, you and all your teams and all the healthcare workers across the country, just been an extraordinarily, probably exhausting and frightening year. And it's not over yet. You're still in the middle of the marathon. So we always appreciate your information, your clarity, and your hard work, and, and all those public health workers. Uh just extraordinary work, Dr. Sharkari. So thank you so much and happy New Year to you. And thank you, Evan. We are going to take a short break. Uh when we come back, we'll deal with the other side of the pandemic, the economic devastation. The Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux will join us next. What are the economic pitfalls? maybe even opportunities, as we move from the great pandemic, maybe later into the year, to the great recovery. Stay right here with Question Period.
6: Mr. Speaker, this is the most severe challenge our country has faced since the Second World War. It is our most severe economic shock since the Great Depression, and our most severe public health crisis since the spanish flu a century ago canadians should know that their federal government will be there to help them get through it come what may
0: welcome back to our special look ahead edition of question period where we outline the biggest political issues that will shape this new year 2021 the obvious issues of course the pandemic and the recovery before the break we focused on the health aspect of the pandemic with dr sharkawi but the economy was also devastated. 2021 will be the year of the great pandemic recovery. And the Canadian government has spent over $420 billion in total program spending in the last year. That's a record amount. The deficit, in the best case, will be about $380 billion, probably more. In our economics update, the finance minister, Christopher Freeland, promised even more stimulus to come in the next three years, over $100 billion. But on what? It was pretty vague. Will it be national child care, universal pharmacare? and how do they deal with the deficits? To look at the economic pitfalls and opportunities of 2021, the Scrum is back. Donna McCharles from the Toronto Star, Bob Fife from the Globe and Mail, Joyce Snapier, our CTV Ottawa bureau chief, and our special guest is the parliamentary budget officer himself, uh, Yves Giroux. Uh, great to have everyone back, Eve Giroux. Welcome to you, happy new year to you. Um, you've done a lot of studying on this. Likely there will be a big budget in the new year. It was foreshadowed in that economic update at the end of 2020. In your view, what is the biggest economic challenge facing the government and the country?
1: The biggest challenge will be the economic recovery. And that will have big implications, obviously, for all Canadians as we return or we hope to return to what is like more of a normal life. But it will also have big implications for the government because it will affect the pace of recovery in the deficit, so the pace at which the deficit will return to more normal levels. You've raised a bunch
0: of red flags about structural deficits and spending. Um, What are some of those red flags that you've raised?
1: Well, we've raised the fact that it will be difficult for the government to sustain a level of deficit of around 400 billions for more than just a few years. And thankfully, in last year's fall economic statement, the government indicated that it planned on returning to more normal levels of uh, deficit within four or five years. And that's good news. Uh, but the other red flag that I've raised was with respect to the absence of a fiscal anchor, which is uh, um, uh, Sure. An object, a, tar- a target or an objective that the government is aiming for, uh, w- whether it be the debt to deficit uh, ratio or um, target growth in uh, government spending? Tonda, you... Uh,
2: yeah, Evan, I was just, you know, and the other thing, uh, Mr. Giroux's office just before the new year also published um, an analysis of where we stand on a bunch of the different measures that the government rolled out. But one of the things I was struck by is that he recommends, you know, that the, the, the 70 to 100 billion dollar stimulus over three years that the government is promising but not specifying how it will spend uh, I was struck by the fact that you said that it needed to go out maybe in a sh- over a shorter term period and come out sooner uh, than the end of the year. So, you know, I'm looking to see when the government decides, oh, you know, the economy is starting to get back on its feet and when it's time to actually kind of goose that and, and get things going.
0: Joyce, you wanted to weigh in.
5: Well, I think I, I, I find that that, look, December 2019, the projected deficit was $28 billion dollars. 2020 December 2020. It's almost 400 billion dollars. We have to ask ourselves a few questions. We know the Bank of Canada printed money. We understand that the debt to GDP ratio is an important marker. But those 100 billion dollars that uh, Christian Freeland put aside uh, for the next three years—that's a lot of money. If just compare 28 billions in 2019, 100 billions just put aside on top of the 400 billion a deficit i'm just wondering what they're going to spend it on and you know what kind of debt are we leaving the next generation because this seems to be although money is cheap a lot of money to pay back
0: yeah bob, bob what are your concerns about this because stimulus is widely seen i think by all the support and stimulus but the stimulus has to be proven to be you know a job multiplier um, what, do you, what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, in terms of the economy in the new year?
4: Well, look, uh, every economist has been saying this for years that Canada needs to deal with a productivity and competitive crisis. And the government, uh, the liberal government, is good at coming up with ideas, but very unsuccessful in, in largely implementing them. For example, Uh, They have a billion dollars for innovation for superclusters, they've only spent something like 30 million dollars of that. A lot of talking, none of that money getting out the door. It's the same thing with the infrastructure bank. The the only money that they've spent it on is a casino. So if you think about this, they need to get money. That is going to be targeted presumably for green projects because that's where the new mo- that's where the uh, the future lies in jobs and also in uh, data information business. But uh, the, the key thing here is it's got to be done by the private sector. The private sector is the is the place that creates jobs, not government. So how they get that money and design that money so it's just not going out the door the projects that never happen or uh, never get completed. Uh, They have to figure out ways of getting that money into people who actually know how to create jobs. And I don't know whether they're going to be successful with that. And the other thing I'm concerned about, too, is that seventy hundred million dollars billion billion as we head into election campaign, how much of that is just going to be a slush fund, money that goes to hockey arenas and curling rinks and those kind of things because they want to get Liberals elected in their ridings?
0: Yeah, some, some saw it as a cure the pain, some saw it as a campaign document. Eve, uh, you we haven't talked about subnational deficit. By the way, the provinces also have it. Uh, one of the things the, um, the the federal government always says is, look, we have historically low interest rates. This is the time to spend. Okay, fair enough. Uh, stimulus, low interest rates. What's your concern about that?
1: Well, my concern about that is that some of these investments may turn out to be not that productive after all. So it's one thing to invest, but it's another thing to spend. And there's a big difference between the two. Investments foster economic growth, increase productivity, and these lead to faster economic growth or better outcomes for the country as a whole. Spending could be uh, on items that don't foster growth. For example, if you create disincentives to work, you may create labor shortages while there's a segment of the population that's not employed. So there's a big difference between spending and investing. So low interest rates is a good time to invest not such a good time to spend when it doesn't lead to wealth creation or faster economic growth. And I think that will be the big question this year as to whether we will see, by all levels of government, spending or investment to stimulate the economy. And there'll That's be a, the big unknown.
0: Uh, all right. So we're, we're, we're going to look at all that. Eve Giroux, uh, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Uh, and great work as usual throughout the year. All right, we're going to take a break, but coming up, the opposition. In what could be, probably will be, an election year, what are the challenges and what are the opportunities for the opposition? Can Aaron O'Toole gain ground for the Conservatives? Will Jagmeet Singh keep supporting a minority Liberal government? And will a new Green Party leader change the fortunes of that party? We go into opposition opportunities in 2021. Our special guest, Conservative Strategist, to Tukes. Stay right here. With
3: question
0: period. We're a government in waiting. I think we will be
3: a, a clear voice for Canadians that deserve an ethical government with a plan for the future of building Canada. But I don't think we should have an election until we've rounded that
0: corner in this, the biggest crisis of all of our lives.
1: The situation is not one where you, if you ask any Canadian, do you want to have an election right now? I think it's fair to say they would say, no, it's not the right time. So that being said, uh, our goal is is to find a way to make government work. It, it's really a way to make sure we are delivering help to Canadians. Welcome
0: back to our special edition of Question Period, where we look ahead to the challenges and pitfalls of 2021 politically. Look, we're getting into the usual end of the lifespan of a minority government in Canada, which is just about under two years. So it's reasonable to expect a federal election in 2021. The opposition has reloaded. The Conservatives got a new leader last year in Aaron O'Toole. Can he reshape that party in order to become the next prime minister? How will he define himself? The NDP, who have supported the liberal minority government throughout the pandemic, do they need to build back as well? Well, they do in places like Quebec. Does Jagmeet Singh have any desire or any money to go to the polls? The Green Party also have a new leader, Annamie Paul. Can she finally lead that party to their long-awaited political breakthrough after 13 years of Elizabeth May's leadership? Let's find out. The Scrum is back. Tanya McCharles from the Toronto Star, Bob Fife from the Globe and Mail, Joyce Napier from CTV, and our special guest this round, conservative strategist Semhar Tekest. Uh, Semhar, welcome to the program. Everyone, welcome back. Uh, 2021, Semhar is going to be key for Aaron O'Toole. Uh, look, he, he spent a lot of 2020 ripping into Justin Trudeau about being at the back of the vaccine line. Then Canada was third out of the gate. He had to shift his message. What's his biggest challenge or opportunity in the new year? How does he
6: need to define himself? So it's really hard for an opposition party to sort of break through, and in a pandemic, it's that much more difficult. The, the issue here is that when there's a crisis, the public seems to turn to government, and the you know polling and data shows that the Canadian public thinks that uh, so far Justin Trudeau has handled the pandemic response quite well. Um, the challenge for Erin uh, O'Toole and other opposition party leaders is really going to have to be to find a way to take the shine away from him a little bit. If we if we end up in an election in the spring and a, a significant number of Canadians are getting vaccinated and the sentiment is that Justin Trudeau has managed this pandemic well, it will be very difficult for the Conservatives to break through in the next election and convince the Canadian public that they're an alternative or a good alternative for them. So it's really taking that shine away from him between now and then. Tonda. I think the
2: bigger challenge for Aaron O'Toole, because he really does um, position his opposition as a government in waiting, you know, is to actually lay out policy uh, in the next several months in the lead up to an election that's credible and that will, um, I guess, inoculate him against typical criticisms that his party has faced in the last couple of elections. Not having credible plans on, for example, the economy, the, the environment, how to mesh those two. Um, and I think so policy, policy, policy for Aaron O'Toole is going to be the thing, I think, that floats his boat. And I don't hear a lot of that. Right, and Bob, he's got
0: issues. I, You know, Aaron, you think back to Andrew Shearer; he had the issues on social conservative issues. Uh, Aaron O'Toole still hasn't said much about guys like Derek Sloan who's really waving the banner for social conservatives who have caused him problems uh, on things like vaccines and trust on vaccines. What do you view as as Aaron O'Toole's maybe biggest opportunity and biggest uh, challenge?
4: Well, I think he's tried uh, fairly successfully to try not to be tagged as a social conservative. He does have members in his party. He's certainly not going to get rid of them. But the position he's taken on uh, gay rights and on pro-choice, I think, fit with the majority of Canadians' viewpoint. But uh, Todd has nailed it. I mean, if you're going to get elected, you have to deal with the overriding issues facing this country, and that is the economy, which is being devastated. How are we gonna get out of that? What is his roadmap? If he has a roadmap that is not just spend, 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 which seems to be a lot what Trudeau is, uh, that could be very appealing to Canadians. Uh, The same thing on climate change. Uh, The Conservatives have failed over the last decade or actually longer than that, to provide the country with a, a climate change policy that would actually take climate change seriously. And, and no matter what you like about it, carbon tax is the way to go. They need to have a credible climate change plan. And just to give you an example of how he can um, uh, do an issue and ha- be in his own lane that seems to resonate with Canadians, Canada-China relations, for example, he's well ahead of the government. On, uh, on getting uh, advocating uh, banning of Huawei from our 5G technologies, from wanting to set up a foreign registry for former politicians and uh, bureaucrats who end up working for uh, China or state-owned companies. He's ahead on those kind of issues. So he needs to get some brain power, serious brain power, and put some policies on the table.
0: Uh, Sam, one last issue on Aaron O'Toole before we go to the NDP and the Greens, but uh, let's talk about the environment. The Liberals finally sort of revealed their plan, a $15 billion plan. Uh, price on carbon goes to $170 bucks by 2030. They still have that rebate. Uh, I spoke to Aaron O'Toole. He still is against a price on carbon, even though Jason Kenney's got $30 a ton on a price on carbon for, for, for large emitters. Do they have to recalibrate on that issue?
6: Look, the reality is the election will be fought in the 905. And people in the 905 and urban centers are interested in a, you know, a, a credible and a serious plan to tackle climate change. The conservatives have ideologic, are ideologically against a carbon tax. What's the alternative? And they have to be able to present that. With the discussion on the liberal plan, I think there's an opportunity to really frame it as a significant cost um, to uh, expenses for Canadians, the Liberals will make this about the environment. If the Conservatives make it about uh, your, your living expenses and provide an alternative, there's a chance there. But there has to be a credible plan. There has to be something serious there.
0: Yeah, and they got to deal with that rebate. Joyce, let, let me just move to the NDP. Uh, mm-hmm. This probably affects the Conservatives, the NDP. Uh, how does Jugmeet Singh build back? They, they got wiped out in Quebec, basically. Uh, the Bloc kind of owns Quebec, and that's going to be a challenge to any party there. But Jagmeet Singh has... Tried to say, I claim wins throughout the 2020 by influencing the liberals, but he still lost almost half his seats in the last election. How does he build back? What's his challenge?
5: Well, his big challenge is uh, to, to 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 tell voters that he's he's not a liberal. Um, you know, the liberals have uh, inhabit his uh, um, his whole uh, his 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 um, sandbox. Really, um, he has very little margin left uh, because the Liberals took over. Um, You know, they've moved to the left and, you know, Mr. Singh can't move more to the left than he has. Yes, he's advocating for pharma care. Yes, he's advocating for child care, long-term care. He's just advocating for more spending uh, than the Liberals, and the Liberals are already spending, you know, billions and billions of dollars so, you know, when the p- people go to the poll, Canadians go to the poll and look at the NDP and look at the Liberals, they're going to, you know, ask themselves, sh- why would I vote NDP hmm. unless you've been, you know, in your heart an NDPer all your life. I think that he's lost grounds to the Liberals in the f- previous election. And he's even lost more ground now is that the same bob for the green party enemy paul uh, she doesn't have a seat
0: but um you know the progressive side's getting uh, pretty crowded over there the liberals it's not like they've not been trying to move in on mowing some green lawn over there with their environmental plan what do the greens have to do
4: well first of all i think the ndp are toast Uh, i don't think they're when the election is called in the spring they're going to lose even more seats but i do think there's a possibility for the green party uh, Amy Paul is a very attractive candidate, extremely intelligent and articulate, and there are a lot of people out there who uh, may, like, uh, may do, feel uncomfortable with, with some of the Liberal policies. So she's a, she's a, a progressive but an articulate progressive, and I think there is an opportunity for people who do not want to vote for the Liberals and uh, are not impressed with the NDP that they very well could go to the, the Green Party. I think there is an alternative there for people on the left to vote for Anime Paul.
0: All right, we got to leave it there. to cast great to have you on the program. Coming up next, the provincial challenges. Which premiers emerged stronger and who emerged weaker in the pandemic response? What about the provincial challenges in the year ahead for the federal government as they promise big programs like health care, child care, or pharmacare? The scrum is back next, and our special guest will be political commentator and former liberal strategist Supriya Devetti. Stay right here with question period.
7: Health care funding has become a daunting problem for the provinces and territories. Even before the pandemic, annual provincial health expenditures rose by roughly 5% a year, but revenues only increased by 3.2%.
0: All right, welcome back to our special edition of Question Period, the Look Ahead to 2021 program where we talk about the key events that will happen in the year ahead. Again, we predict everything but the future. And in this round, we look at the provinces. Some premiers were strengthened by the way they handled the pandemic. Some were weakened. Who were they and how will that play out? In the coming year, we'll see big provincial-federal battles over everything from a potential child care plan to health care to pharmacare. care. How will that play out? in what could be an election year. Let's find out. The Scrum is back. Bob Fife, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail, is back. Tanya McCharles from the Toronto Star is back. Joyce Napier, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for CTV News, is back. And every round we have a special guest. Joining us now is political commentator and former Liberal strategist Sapria Devedi. Great to have everyone here. Sapria, thanks for jumping on board. Look, um... The provinces were in charge of some key issues, right? In charge of distribution of the vaccine, in charge of critical decisions like lockdowns. Um, Let's just start with some of the premiers, Supriya. Who emerged in the pandemic and what will be the recovery as maybe who were strengthened by how they handled it and who were weakened by it?
8: So I think it's important to note that with respect to how Canadians have been rallying around their governments, it's been relatively uniform that governments du jour have been Uh, given quite a bit of latitude and have been given quite a bit of support, I think, with the exception really being Jason Kenney out in Alberta. I mean, it's clear that Doug Ford here in Ontario has seen massive um, changes with respect to his personal popularity, um, you know, for for the better, for for him. I'm not entirely sure how long that lasts. You know, nobody has a crystal ball or anything. But I think, by and large, a lot of the premiers have... Um, done quite well, and I think you know the federal government and the municipal governments largely as well. And I think that really has to do with a can-do sort of Canadian spirit of everyone sort of rallying around um, whomever that their, their government is uh, at, at this moment. Yeah, and Tonda, that
0: was the story for sure of twenty twenty-one or twenty 2020. twenty. But twenty twenty-one, there's going to be a shift. Maybe some of the taps get turned off. We shift from pandemic. We hope to recover, and then and then to recovery. Um, do challenges change then? Do that, does that uniformity that um, Supriya talked about, does that start to shatter a bit?
2: Looking ahead to 2021, I think what's, what everybody's going to be facing as a vaccine comes online and as sort of fiscal pressures mount, you know, all the provinces and the federal government are going to have to shift a bit their their approach and their tack, or the, you know, and pull back, I think, a little bit. And that's where I think you'll see... Um, people take a different measure Uh, you know how will Doug Ford's popularity continue to Sapria's point um, when you know the the vaccine gets distributed but you see the the toll the awful havoc that the pandemic has Mm. taken on businesses across the board all sectors it's not like the 2008 recession when the manufacturing sector was really hit this is all sectors all across the board so I think all provinces face that.
0: Yeah everyone gets a long bob when the government's giving out tens of billions of dollars, there's nothing that creates provincial federal friendships like money. Um, but now the federal government's got big plans, they want to do a child care plan. This is what Justin Trudeau's been talking about this year, this early year, right? Child care, pharmacare. Uh, the provinces want big money from health, $28 billion in transfers, no strings attached. How do these play out?
4: The premiers have one number one concern on their minds, aside from the economy which has devastated small businesses and communities across the country. You can only walk down all of our streets and see all these boarded up buildings. So there has to be measures to get the economy rolling again, particularly to the small business sector. But the healthcare one is the the thing that's staring everybody in the eye. The premiers want billions of dollars uh, to sustain our healthcare system, as well as to put money into long-term care. Uh, if, that is going to, if money that could go to health care uh, is somehow going to farmer uh, care or the child care, you're going to get into some major battles unless the, unless the federal government comes up with a scheme where uh, they provide some tax relief to people through, uh, to provide ch- child care, which may get around some provincial opposition. But we're going to have, I think, probably a rough year year politically, Uh, because there are big issues facing the country, not just the vaccine.
5: Yeah, Joyce, how do you see those issues playing out? Well, it's interesting. I think the vaccine rollout will be uh, how these premiers and the federal government will be judged in 2021, or at least the first few months of 2021. If it's drip, 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 and people become impatient, because we saw in December all those hopeful shots, the, the first jabs in the arm, everybody's thinking okay, we can, it's a sigh of relief, it's, uh, it's an emotional moment, we heard the politicians, that, that was a huge win uh, for the Trudeau government, big win also for the provinces, uh, they put, uh, Ontario and Ottawa put, you know, generals in charge of this rollout, so it's all very comforting. Now, uh, January, February, March, and so on, uh, won't be that obvious. Uh, there is going to be a reckoning uh, with the economy and also the health care system. I think that we underestimate uh, what this, the damage that this has done to our health care system and the number of people who are now on waiting lists has tripled across the country. So there are real issues that will hit the provinces hmm. and the federal government. Yeah, but Supriya, those
0: issues that, that are the, conti- those big liberal promises, child care, uh, a lot of provinces like Quebec say, wait, that's our jurisdiction. Uh, health care, they say, this is our jurisdiction, so we want $28 billion more a year. We don't want strings attached, long-term care homes. Don't tell us what to do. How, do the, how does the federal government deal with provinces
8: who they've supported with billions of dollars who now might want to reassert their independence? With respect to the health care thing, you know, the reality is is that my entire life, basically, we haven't had a serious discussion Amongst Canadians and amongst political leaders, about the kind of healthcare Canadians expect and the kind of healthcare that we pay for, and there are, you know, looming issues um, on the horizon that are going to be downloaded onto the healthcare system. We have an aging population. There's an increase in in chronic conditions, but there's also this these, you know, more existential, abstract, but are very real threats like the, you know, the real possibility that there's going to be an increase in novel zoonotic viruses. That's a reality. We're going to see an increase in mosquito-borne diseases with regards to climate change. That's another reality. Antimicrobial resistance is only going to increase. That's another reality. So, I mean, I I don't think the provinces can really claim that they don't want any uh, strings attached to this money. And I think it's incumbent upon the federal government to really be making that argument to people Mm -hmm. with respect to um, the looming challenges that the healthcare system is going to be facing in the next 10, 15, 20 years or so.
0: All right, I gotta leave it there. I I think from the provinces, we should shout out to those provincial chief public health officers who emerged as stars in 2020. Uh, Supriya Mm Devetti, always a pleasure Mm -hmm. to have you. Great to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up, the big one, What will the defining issue of 2021 be? If there is an election, what will the ballot box question be? And what role will things like tensions with China play? We haven't talked about that. We will. Former NDP leader and CTV News commentator Tom Mulcair jumps on the scroll. Next, stay right here with question period. Welcome back, everyone, to the special edition of Question Period, our Look Ahead program, where we talk about the key events of the year ahead in 2021. We all hope it'll, you know, end the pandemic and, well, we'll end the great pandemic and we'll begin the great recovery. There'll be many challenges and tensions still, though, outside of that, right? We haven't talked much about tensions with China. Canada keeps escalating those as the two Michaels remain locked in a Chinese prison. We should never forget that. There's a new U.S. president, Joe Biden. Will he become a bi American president? Will the environment and the new price on carbon the Liberals announced at the end of 2021 define the year? What about issues like systemic racism or reconciliation? What about resource development? Will those reemerge as top of the agenda? Or is a spring election going to be what we all likely think a referendum on handling the pandemic and the recovery? To look ahead at some of these defining issues, we are joined again by Bob Fife from the Globe and Mail, Joyce Napier from CTV, Tonda McCharles from the Toronto Star, and our special guest is the former NDP leader and now the CTV News commentator, Tom Mulcair. Happy New Year, Tom. Good to have you join all our scrum uh yeah we're just asking you to predict what the biggest issues of the year will be tom no no big challenge here but um i mean there's a lot on there obviously that the pandemic and the economic recovery which we've spoken a lot about are going to be key but what other issues are you watching for to emerge tom
7: i think that we're looking at an election in 2021 if you look at the history of these things average length of a minority government in canada is about 18 months You have to go back almost 50 years to when Pierre Trudeau lost his majority in 72, came roaring back in 74 and got his majority again, a big one. How did he do that? Well, he hugged the NDP like an anaconda. He was very friendly with David Lewis, (laughs) gave them all sorts of stuff. Uh, you want petro canada sure we'll have a canadian you know government owned petroleum company why not what else do you want david but what he did as he headed into the election is he said well we're such good friends with the ndp why bother voting for them that's one of the biggest challenges mr singh's going to have and i think that mr trudeau and the people around him know that history very well they're repeating it mr mr singh has cropped up mr trudeau any number of times He is going to be the one, Mr. Trudeau, to decide when the election's going to be held. It's not going to be the Bloc Québécois and the Conservatives and the NDP ganging up on the government. Mr. Trudeau's going to be in charge of that. And at any time we can get past the worst of the second wave, probably late spring, early summer, be attentive. You might see him walking across the lawn at Rideau Hall from Rideau Cottage to go knock on the door and ask for a writ from Governor General. Julie
0: well, the first viral expression, Bob Fife, of the year, hugged like an anaconda. I think the NDP is going to be haunted by that one. Uh, Bob, you spent a lot of time covering China and foreign affairs. Uh, on that file, again, the two Michaels, let's not forget about them. They're, they're still in prison. Uh, what, on that file, what are you watching for?
4: Well, the government still has to make a decision on whether it's going to uh, ban Huawei from Canada's 5G network, where the only Five Eyes country, in fact, other allies who are not members of the Five Eyes have all already done so. Um, there's uh, countries like Australia and the United States are realizing that they have to get a lot tougher with China. They're setting up foreign registries so we know if former politicians and senior bureaucrats are working for Chinese state-owned enterprises do we need to be part of China's Asian Development Bank. We particularly need I think a much stronger uh, policy in terms of foreign investment review of Chinese uh, takeovers of, uh, of uh, Canadian companies. At the same time, we have to trade with China. And so we need to do what uh, President, uh, President-elect Biden is doing, which is building a national international coalition of Western democracies to take on chi- chi- China. And the other issue, just leaving aside uh, of China, of course, is, is climate change. And President-elect Biden is going to be an ally of Trudeau and, and Germany and Europe, who, are, who realize that this is a, the most important issue facing our generation, is how do we deal with global warming?
0: All right, so we got, uh, we got hugging like anacondas, and we got taming tires when it comes to
2: China. Tonda, what are you looking for? Well, just when it comes to China, I mean, I think um, actually the government has uh, tacitly decided that they don't—they're not pressed to make a decision on Huawei because all the big telecoms in. Canada have already uh, excluded Huawei from building out their 5G network. They've all made that decision and essentially that lets the government off the hook, um, which gives them a little bit still maneuvering room in terms of uh, guarantee, you know, trying to safeguard the, the safety of the two Michaels that are in that prison in, China, in, in Beijing and in, in Dandong. So I think Bob's right. Building that international coalition is the way to go, but it's going to be a lot easier when you've got bigger countries like uh, the U.S. and Australia, with its bigger trade ties with China, on side. So I think. Those two things open a path for the Trudeau government in terms of what is basically the biggest foreign policy issue facing it. Don't forget we've got uh, the issue of the national security law in Hong Kong and the issue of the Uyghur minority um, in the northwest province in, in China. Those are massive human rights issues that challenge the world and
5: the world's defenders of human rights to stand up and do something. Joyce. Yes, Australia showed its muscles and look at what's happening to Australia's exports of Australian wine to China. So, you know, China has um, a a very good knack of punishing those who, you know, sort of irritated. And Canada has been a constant irritant to China and has not been able to fight back. Um, We can't fight back on China until there is this international coalition. And every single member of this fictitious international coalition each have um, too much interest in keeping China, yes, far away but close at the same time. Okay, uh, let me, at this time last year,
0: Tom Mulcair, you know, and, and in January, it was two issues dominated, and I wonder if they're going to come back. It was the wet Wet'suwet'en and, and the pipeline issue. Uh, resource development, reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. How could those two issues shape 2021?
7: They're always going to remain important. Resource development is of course essential to our society. We've talked a bit about the Biden administration. They're saying that they're going to put up barriers at their border to stop countries that are not respecting the Paris Accord from coming in. This just in, that makes life easier for Mr. Trudeau with his bold and ambitious climate plan because he gets to tell people out West, look, this is what's happening. We can no longer not be part of the solution internationally. But inherent in all of that is the respect for the treaty rights and the inherent rights of our first peoples. And there's an opportunity here to right many of the wrongs of the past because there will be a massive transition. You can imagine that wind energy and hydrogen and some of the tools of the future are gonna be able to be developed in those regions where we have large concentrations of First Nations, Inuit, maybe people. So the government can see it as an opportunity. They do have one knock on their record, which is their consistent refusal to obey several rulings of the Canadian Human Rights Commission with regard to indigenous youth on reserve. They've called it racial discrimination, and Mr. Trudeau is sincere when he says it's the most important relationship, but he's actually got to start acting on that.
0: Okay, a quick whip around to end this one. Tonda, I'm gonna to start with you. There's a lot of issues we've covered over this program. Um, you know, If there's an election, at this moment, what do you think the defining ballot box question is gonna be? I'll just do a quick, quick whip around. Ballot box question, so you think for 2021?
2: Because the crisis of 2020 will still be so fresh in everyone's minds and we'll still be living it in 2021 for much of it. I think, who do you trust to handle a crisis? Who do you trust to handle a health and economic crisis? And I think that's the defining question. Joyce.
5: Pandemic for sure and vaccines and absolutely that will be the ballot question. um, Even if it's at the end of the year, that's going to be the ballot question for sure. Uh, Tom Mulcair
7: sustainable prosperity will be the liberal pitch versus what they will describe as conservative austerity mr o'toole's going to have a hard time fighting away from that
0: uh, interesting and i wonder we didn't mention deficits could be a part of that bob fife what's your uh, ballot box question of 2021 so far
4: well uh, it's going to be the economy uh, so many people are out of work so many small businesses are closed down which party will have a solution that people will buy into and of course the vaccine Are we going to, will the population be, uh, most people will have them vaccine, hopefully before the summer, and they don't have to wait until the fall.
0: Yeah, often wartime leaders don't get elected because a wartime leader is different than a build-back leader. So, you know, we move from the great pandemic to the great recovery. Maybe that's the ballot box question. All right, I got to thank all of you. Bob Fife, Tonda McCharles, Joyce Napier, Tom Mulcair, it's going to be a busy year. I want to thank all our special guests. Thanks so much. Whatever happens in the new year, and look, We're all like you, just trying to figure out what the forces that will shape it. Let's all hope that together the pandemic ends quickly, that we get more vaccines quickly, that it's less stressful, maybe kinder, less dangerous. Look, we all love action on Parliament Hill, but we could use a little quieter year ahead, believe me. But let me say this, don't bet on it. It's going to be another big one. Take care, be kind. Thanks again for watching. And we will see you back here in seven short days. Happy New Year, everyone, to some health and happiness.
3: You're watching CTV.